New Scientist Weekly is brought to you in partnership with the Financial Times. The FT brings you stories that matter, not only in the world of business and finance, but also covering stories in science, technology, climate change and more. Find out more at ft.com. Hello and welcome to New Scientist Weekly. I'm Penny Sarchet, News Editor at New Scientist. I'm Rowan Hooper. I'm our Podcast Editor. Joining us today is New Scientist Features Editor, Kat Delange. Hi, Kat. Hello. Hi. Coming up, we have the world's first climate change song, dating back to 1927. We have bats capable of mimicking sound, and we investigate the biggest supernova ever discovered. But first, while much of the world is still on lockdown, and with confirmed cases of coronavirus worldwide now in excess of 2 million... One weird and maybe positive thing that's come out of this crisis is that many of us are now paying more attention to our physical fitness. In the UK, people are being encouraged to exercise once a day, and online videos for yoga and other workouts are proving really popular. But Kat, you've been looking at a different kind of exercise. Yeah, so this is, I think, a really cool story. We're probably quite aware of the benefits of doing 10,000 or even 15,000 steps a day for our health. But what the new work is showing is that as well as cardio fitness, physical strength is also really important. So um, the latest UK government advice on fitness actually emphasises that muscle strength is just as important or even perhaps more important than aerobic activity. And the US government and the World Health Organization as well, they've got physical activity guidelines recommending at least two sessions of strengthening activities every week. Yeah, so I I can't believe I didn't know about this. So I know that grip strength in older people is a good predictor of lifespan. Um, But I guess if I thought about it at all, I would have thought that weight training and strength exercise was was more of a cosmetic thing that, that people get into rather than a health benefit. Is that just me? Penny, do you know about this? Yeah, I think the same as you. I knew there was evidence that strength was important, but I I didn't really realise just how wide ranging some of the impacts are. Well, so that's the thing. I think within the fitness industry, people have known for probably about a decade now that strengthening exercises are really good for you and it's kind of reached the mainstream. But a lot of people probably feel quite intimidated by the idea that lifting weights is going to make you really bulky and it's for for bodybuilders. Um, And even within circles where people know about the benefits of strength training I think the new research really blows everything out of the water um, and we're just discovering quite how amazing the benefits are for our health and probably I I think some governments might feel like it's easier to promote if if you're going to promote exercise within the population setting targets around getting a certain number of steps a day might be an easier message than thinking about lifting weights. Yeah someone needs to come up with a, a really succinct meme a good message for, for the weight thing, like they have 10,000 steps. Because otherwise, yeah, you get you just think of, of Arnie and bodybuilders and well, that's what's in my head anyway. 10,000 reps. <laughs> when you go to yeah. the gym, I find it, I like on the machines, you get all of the readouts and the numbers and the data. And, and I just never get that so much from, yeah, doing some reps on a machine. It, it would be nice if there's a way to kind of keep more track of it. So here's why we need to start paying more attention to strength building. On a very basic level, if you're stronger, especially for for older people, having that muscle is going to prevent you from having falls, um, getting injured. And so studies have shown that people who do, older people who do strength training a couple of times a week just generally stay independent for longer. But the really exciting stuff, a lot of it is around glucose in your blood. So the muscles act as a store 
um, they store glucose as glycogen with the help of insulin. And this helps to ward off type 2 diabetes. So the more muscle mass you have, you have a bigger sink to absorb that glucose. It's also been shown to help survival rates in people with cancer and lower the risk of cardiovascular disease. And generally, people who do strength training exercises just seem to live longer. So I kind of remember um, people saying that whilst you burn loads of calories, like on a treadmill, um, you still end up burning calories if you do strength or resistance training. It's just that you burn them over time. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. So You burn a certain number of calories doing the exercises, of course. But the thing about muscle is that the more muscle mass you have, the more weight you're lugging around with you. It's burning more energy that way. And also just keeping the muscles going requires more energy. Um, And the other thing is that you get these tiny tears in your muscles when you do strength training and repairing those tears also uses up a lot more energy. So just how many calories do you burn after the fact then? So say I do two 20-minute resistance training workouts a week, then each session requires about 200 calories to actually do the exercises. And then because we have to to repair all these tiny tears to the muscles, over the next three days, I'll use another 100 extra calories a day in repair. So over the course of the month, my two little workouts a week have consumed 5,000 extra calories. 5,000 extra calories is quite a lot of extra cake or bottles of wine. Uh, Yeah. And um, the other really good thing about strength training is that is the effect it has on your bones. So it increases the activity of bone making cells called osteoblasts. And it lowers the activity of cells that break down your bones called osteoclasts. So when you do strength training, it really helps to look after your bones. It makes them denser and that can reduce the risk of osteoporosis. Okay, so give us some advice on on what we should do. Okay, so it probably seems quite daunting if you haven't done strength training before, but it's not all about lifting weights. There's loads of exercises that you can do. We've listed some of them in the mag and we'll tweet a link at New Scientist Pod. But in a nutshell, what you should try and do is um, the, the recommendations are to do strength training twice a week and to exercise all the major muscle groups. So that's the legs, the hips, the back, abdomen, chest, shoulders and arms. And if that sounds a lot, there are some cheats that you can do. Good, good. We like a cheat. Go on, tell us a cheat. Some teams are actually looking at whether we could get the benefits of weight training by doing as little as one minute a day. Um, That research is still ongoing. But in the meantime, resistance training actually means that your muscles have something to resist against. So whilst traditionally that would be weights, it could be anything that you have lying around in your house. So some heavy cookery books perhaps or just using your body weight so you could do press-ups on the floor if that feels too hard to start with you could just do it on the kitchen worktop or on a wall Uh, you can do squats and lunges while you're watching tv that will strengthen your your legs and your glutes and your abs Um, and even just lifting heavy shopping bags uh, lifting children all of that counts yoga is one of the exercises that's recommended by the government um, for that counts as strength training. I think you, you have to be sensible, so you've got to be feeling that resistance against against your arms and your legs. And um, but the key thing is to do exercise that makes you your muscles feel like they've they're they're worn out and they're tired. Um, so that's that's the way to get the muscle building effect. And some of the research also suggests that these vibrating machines that you get in the gym they also can boost the boost the impact. What are vibrating machines that you get in the gym? They're, I think they're... Are those they're things that go around your like waist? Power plate. Like that. No, no, no. So I think they're, well, they're called pl- power plates, I think, and you stand on them um, and they, they vibrate and 
the benefits have been touted for quite a long time. Apparently, they're supposed to increase the impact of whatever exercise you're doing. So if you're doing a squat on this machine, then it's sending all these vibrations through your muscles and making them work harder. And the research has been quite lacking for a while, but some new studies are suggesting that actually maybe they do work quite well. Okay. Well, we've got some vibrating clothes coming up later on the show today. Oh, and by the way, there's a, if that all really still sounds too hard, there's a quite a cool study amazing study actually that shows that if you that you you might even be able to think your way to stronger muscles so a team of researchers put volunteers arms in casts for four weeks and they had half of them think about exercising their wrists and the ones who had done these imaginary exercises actually lost 50 percent less muscle than the control group thanks cat Now it's time for our semi-regular feature on maintaining a healthy mental and physical state during this time of social distancing and isolation. This week we've got something a little different, Rowan? Yeah, this week we've got some music. It's a bit like the poetry segment we had a couple of weeks ago in that I think it can deliver a moment of peace and perspective. Uh, The music is a jazz and blues standard called Backwater Blues. It's from 1927 by Bessie Smith. She was called Empress of the Blues and was one of the greatest singers of the 20s and 30s. And I picked this song for a couple of reasons. First, because I think you can argue that it's the first climate change song ever written. It's about flooding. Perhaps it's about a flood, a huge flood of the Mississippi in 1927. And we know now that climate change and sea level rise is hitting Louisiana, especially really hard. And the second reason is really just because Louisiana is feeling the impact of coronavirus really hard too. Uh, After New York, it's got the most number of cases in the United States. So this song's appropriate for that too. I asked our digital editor, Conrad Quilty Harper, to play it for us on his trombone. Take it away, Conrad. We have to cut it off there. (laughs) Thanks so much for that, Conrad. Uh, We'll tweet a video of Conrad playing that and also a link to Bessie Smith singing it. Her life story is also incredible, by the way, worth checking it out. Time out. We want to let you know a bit more about our sponsor, The Financial Times. This pandemic is hitting every part of our daily lives and the FT is doing an incredible job of reporting its impact on the worlds of business, culture and industry. They've recently launched a coronavirus tracked page on their website, which is free to read. Made by the FT's data journalism team and updated every day, it provides a visual snapshot of the developing situation. From timelines showing how the pandemic spread around the globe to which major cities seem to have turned a corner and are now seeing fewer new cases. In a time where accurate data and analysis couldn't be more important, you should make the FT an essential part of your daily reading. You can find the coronavirus tracked page at ft.com slash coronavirus latest. Next up is the news that bats can learn to mimic certain sounds, a finding that elevates them to a small but elite group of animals capable of doing this. Yeah, so who else is in the club of mimicking sounds? 
So not that many species. Obviously, humans can copy each other, and so do some bird species, quite famously, plus some seals, dolphins, whales, and elephants. Um, But cognitively speaking, it's quite a complex task because to learn to copy a sound, you first have to actually sort of memorize it, remember what a sound sounds like. And then when you give it a go, you have to compare the sound you make to the sound in your memory and then improve. So it's quite complex. Uh, And how do we know that bats can do it then? Yeah, so a team at the, I I love the name of this, the Max Planck Institute for Psycholinguistics in the Netherlands trained um, six adult pale spear-nosed bats to imitate their own calls. So what they did is they put them in essentially tiny little recording studios for bats and they played them recordings of their own calls that they had manipulated to bring them down um, uh, into a lower frequency so that they sounded lower in pitch. And so they trained the bats using treats of um, mashed banana uh, to learn to copy these altered calls. Um, And it only took about a month for them to do this. So I did not know that you could train bats. Uh, Kat, did you know that? No, I had no idea. (laughs) Seemingly, as long as you've got some banana in hand, I guess. And a bat recording studio. Yeah, that might be the harder part. I want to see a picture of that. Yeah, me too. I haven't seen any, actually. Uh, So did we have any idea before this that bats were capable of imitation? So we did have an inkling. A previous study found that bat pups can imitate sounds made by their parents. But the new experiment shows that this kind of learning and mimicking ability uh, is retained. They take it through with them into adulthood. And now the team say that they want to try more complex sounds or even sound patterns. So perhaps teaching bats a little tune, which is quite cute. So does that finding change anything? Perhaps. Um, So far, uh, to understand vocal learning and memory, most studies have uh, focused on songbirds like the zebra finch. And birdsong is obviously fascinating, but it can only tell us so much about humans and and how we evolve speech, because let's not forget birds are basically dinosaurs and they they split from mammals some time ago. So um, one possibility is that now that we know bats can do some of this, maybe working with bats could shed a little more light on how mammals communicate and, and learn to make these kinds of noises. I remember a biologist once speculating about whether dolphins could recreate the sonar patterns they received so they could send out a squeak in the pattern of a shoal of fish or something. So it could allow a really high level communication. There's no evidence for that in dolphins, but I I just wondered, this bat study makes me think of it. Yeah, I mean, dolphins are so smart, aren't they? I wouldn't necessarily put it past them. But more broadly, um, I just love it when we discover that other species of animal are capable of certain skills or traits that we used to think were really special or maybe unique to us. So the list is ever expanding. There's tool use, theory of mind, empathy, even dancing um, and enjoying music. So I love that we're not quite as superior as we like to think. I like that too, Uh, although I once said something similar to a chimp biologist and he said, so when did chimps build their Large Hadron Collider then? And and that completely shut me up. (laughs) That's our sci-fi alert, which sounds when we have a story in the magazine that has already been predicted in science fiction. Rowan. Yeah, this is really cool. So some artists and roboticists have got together and made clothing that vibrates. So you feel different sensations on your skin. And depending on the fabric used and the type of vibrations, you can create different feelings of calmness, strength or confidence, so they say. But I love how they describe this. 
They say that clothing traditionally projects images to the outside world, like attractiveness, wealth, or professionalism. But what if clothes could be engineered to change how we feel on the inside? This actually reminds me of a story that we did ages ago about these um, shoes that people could were connected up to headphones so people could hear the sounds of their footsteps. And when they changed the volume, it changed the way that the people felt inside, which I thought was a really nice idea. Wow. So what have they done in this research? So they've got tiny motors that are three millimetres thick and sewed these into fabric uh, and then programmed the motors to vibrate in different patterns. People wearing clothes made from this fabric were asked to describe their feelings according to a number of terms, soft, cosy, cold or warm or whatever. Uh, And based on the words the volunteers chose, the researchers placed the response to the clothing into one of three categories, cloud, rock or water. So, for example, if someone described the sensations as soft, cosy and warm, their response was placed in the cloud category. So then they can, you can make cloud clothing. The researchers have also created a tight-fitting dress embedded with vibrating motors that were programmed to create these water or cloud or rock sensations. And they say that in tests, the woman they fitted the dress with, she spoke more slowly and calmly when they switched on the cloud pattern and more hurriedly when they switched on the rock pattern. It is part of an apparent movement to create clothes that can be experienced rather than just worn. You know, I'm bored of just wearing my clothes. I want to experience it. Other designers have created a shirt that gives the wearer hugs and another something that vibrates to improve your posture. Any interest in wearing clothes like this, you two? The uh, the cloud one sounds nice and cosy. I wonder potentially um, if there's a use in things like therapy like if people really need help getting over anxiety there might be a way of using it there i yeah. have seen once a a vest that gave children hugs that was designed for autistic children who perhaps struggled with some physical contact so the idea was they could wear this vest and you could remotely give your child a hug that's a nice idea yeah i i also like the idea that you could use this in in virtual reality and you know how people Uh, You wear goggles and you can be tricked into having your sense of self displaced. You could do that as well. So this is the sci-fi angle. Uh, It reminds me of some clothing in some of William Gibson's books. He wrote Neuromancer 30 odd years ago. He coined the term cyberspace. In his books, people can enter, can fully enter a virtual world and, and clothing helps trick the body into that. He calls it SimStim technology, simulated stimulation And there's something similar to in William Gibson's latest novel, Agency. People sometimes say that cosmology gives them a sense of perspective on our place in the universe. And if you're someone who agrees with that, then this story is going to be right up your street. Yep, this is the story about the most powerful supernova ever spotted. Uh, A supernova is the explosion you get at the end of a star's life. This one... Uh, is 4.5 million light years away, so it's not even in our galaxy. Uh, It is an explosion which released about 10 times more energy than our sun will emit in its entire lifetime. Cosmologists are startled by an explosion this big because it wasn't considered possible until now. Uh, And it's also weird because it's a long-lasting explosion. Uh, Supernovae usually explode and disperse in just a few months, but this is still going on. It was discovered more than three years ago. Although I say it's still going on, it's 4.5 million light years away. So it happened 4.5 million years ago. uh, But you see what I mean. The cosmologists studying the thing say that 
For it to be so bright and long-lasting, the star that exploded must have shed a shell of material making up about half its mass before it blew up, just before it blew up. And then the explosion smashed through that shell at a speed of 4,600 kilometers per second, uh, and that created an extreme blast of radiation. So any planet with life on it nearby would have been sterilized by radiation. So could a supernovae like this be a threat to life on Earth? Uh, well, this is the theme of a Lu Chi Sing novel called The Supernova Era, about a star eight light years from Earth that explodes and irradiates our planet. I asked Leia Crane, our space expert, about this, and she said the amount of radiation drops off with distance squared. So the threat would all depend on the power of the explosion. For a regular supernova, she thinks it'd have to be within 30 to 50 light years to threaten life. So we don't have uh, anything going off within 30 light years of us, so we're probably all right. Just before we go, I do want to give a shout out to a show I've just seen. It's on BBC Two. And if you're not in the UK, you can watch it on Hulu. It's called Devs. Uh, it's by Alex Garland, who wrote Ex Machina. Did it? Do you two happen to see this last night? No, I'm I haven't seen it. it. <laughs> uh, well, it's about AI. Uh, it's about quantum computing and free will and timey-wimey stuff. Uh, I've just seen one episode, but it looks really good. Thanks for listening. Just a reminder that you can read all about the stories in this show and much more at newscientist.com. If you would like to subscribe, you can get 20% off a subscription to New Scientist using the code POD20. Yep, POD20 at checkout gets you your subscription discount. Do also listen to our sister podcast, The Big Interview. We've got interviews with Greta Thunberg, Cristiano Figueres and string theorist Brian Green. And coming very soon, we've got a really timely interview with author and feminist activist Caroline Criado Perez. Do get in touch with us on Twitter at New Scientist Pod or email us at podcast at newscientist.com and let us know how you're getting on in this COVID world. New episodes go live each Friday. Do subscribe to our show at the usual place you get your podcasts. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. This is a Right Angles production. You can find out more by visiting rightangles.global.